Welcome to SciSection. Today's interview is with Dr. Linda Kay from Edge Hill University in England. Thank you for being here, Dr. Kay. It's all right. Thank you for inviting me. Could you introduce yourself and what you do? Yes, so I am a lecturer, or a professor um, in psychology and I work at Edge Hill University and the area I work in is cyber psychology and that is basically the psychology of online behaviour. So how, how, we, how do we experience and how are we affected by new technologies and aspects of the internet? Zoom fatigue is a very recent term. What exactly does it refer to? Yeah, this um, is a term that has been picked up a lot by the media. Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's something that you know people agree as a sort of technical term. It's just something that we use, but it is a common experience that um, a lot of people seem to have um, experienced, particularly during um, the recent sort of six, seven months, particularly during periods of national lockdowns and so on. Um, and I guess what this experience predominantly is, is um, just feeling very exhausted and tired, particularly as a lot of our interactions have pretty much predominantly or sometimes in some cases solely been fully online. So the term Zoom fatigue pretty much came up because a lot of people were using the pl platform Zoom. Um, and so um, this term sort of got coined to try and describe this very common experience that a lot of people um, had, um, had, had experienced over during the lockdown period. Do you think Zoom fatigue is more of a concern for certain age groups? For example, do you think older people are more immune to it than younger people? Um, um, that doesn't seem to be something that we've, we've, you know, people seem to have observed. It does seem to be sort of a common or quite universal experience. I, I don't think there's necessarily an immunity to it. Um, but again, I think it's it's just a result of the maybe the length of time that we're using these technologies that there's no sort of distraction or distinction between different types um, of um, sort of interactions with people. So, you know, work interactions, social interactions, a lot of the time were just on this platform and it was difficult to kind of compartmentalise different things we were doing. And so I think, you know, that's common across all people, really. So it doesn't seem that there are actually any particular differences on that uh, from what we've sort of observed. A lot of students are seeing or expecting their grades to drop because of online learning. Is this, do you think it's a visible effect of Zoom fatigue? And do you think that the struggles of online learning would justify that academic institutions lower their grade expectations? Uh, that's a, a good question. Um, I mean, I suppose what we, what we mean by online learning, and that can mean lots of different things. Um, and there are a lot of differences across um, in different universities, different countries on how online learning actually is taking place. Um, I suppose what might be being referred to here is if basically all sessions are sort of just on Zoom or anything like that. But um, I mean, there's there's naturally no, from what I'm aware of, no academic evidence to suggest that interactions in sort of these real time video chats are actually substandard to um, in-person sort of interactions in terms of learning. The difference might be different level of engagement um, and, you know, maybe it's more difficult to sustain attention when it's online. Maybe we're more easily distracted. Um, if it's people accessing pre-recorded content, 
maybe the motivation to engage in that is different. So from my view, speaking as an educator and knowing the, the amount of effort that a lot of educators have put into being creative in the way that um, online teaching has been put together, from my view, I, I don't think it's necessary that there's necessarily a strong justification for things like lowering grade expectations, um, because I think it's, it's more a case of understanding how online learning is taking place and what are the different ways that we can encourage different levels of engagement rather than the actual learning itself, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think it depends what online learning refers to because that can be quite different. Um, so it's a difficult one to answer without knowing that, I think. Um, as someone who teaches, how are the struggles with online teaching or learning different from the teacher's end and the student's end? Yes. So again, it depends what we mean by online learning and online teaching. So if we were referring to actually delivering, say, a live lecture um, online through like a video conferencing platform, it is different because you it's more difficult to read a room. So from a teacher's perspective, um, you don't have the the, the, the richness of all those non-verbal cues that you might do in a classroom. So you, you're not picking up on things like if somebody isn't maybe paying attention in the same way or you, you don't get the, the non-verbal feedback interaction um, and the warmth of, of, an, of an audience, if that's the right way to put it. So that's different. From my perspective, you have to use different ways of, of monitoring engagement. So through whether it's using chat functions or sometimes I use live Google Docs that I ask students to add stuff into so I can see live you know what's what's being put on so there's a level of engagement I can get back which is different and monitoring engagement in a different way but still um, trying to support that process from a student's end um, obviously it's more difficult to say because um, I'm obviously coming at this from an educator's perspective um, but I think certainly my own students when they've been talking about being motivated to watch things like pre-recorded content that's been a bit of a struggle for some of them you know not watching it all the way through or just skipping through or not having any motivation to watch it in the first place so I think you know the the variety of different ways we're supporting online learning it's it's been experienced quite differently by students in some cases can be more positive but I think you know it's a different way for a lot of students so they're just getting to grips with how to do it effectively at the moment I think. So from my own perspective well my own experience in one of my classes I actually felt more of a sense of community thanks to the group chat option and where professors and students would actually just share jokes and send emojis so do you think there are actually some possible psychological benefits of this interaction? That's a really nice example and actually some of my colleagues have said something similar and you know students at the end saying thank you and oh, I've found that really useful I think that's that's really nice and sometimes you don't get that kind of thanks <laughs> in a classroom sometimes you do but not always um but yeah I think you know the I know the, the chat functions and things have I know by colleagues being experienced quite positively and for some students actually being a great way for them them to get engage when maybe in a classroom they they might be the ones who might not necessarily have wanted to contribute so I think it is reaching um, a certain proportion of our students um, in a way that possibly is, is better in some ways than, than maybe an actual classroom um, so yeah I think yeah the the fact that you can share 
fun things and you know and these kind of things are a nice example of of those and and yes you know in terms of relationship building and connection and community definitely um, are all important for that about excessive screen time it's been a concern for a while now and before the pandemic it was always recommended to not go over a certain number of hours of screen time in a day do you think it's still realistic to recommend limiting our screen time this year? I mean, the the kind of way that those screen time recommendations were were built was was not really on any particular hardcore evidence. Uh, they were just sort of random recommendations. So, I, to be honest, personally, I've never been a big fan of just quantifying um, the or the vast amount of different behaviours we do via screens just by one number or a metric. So. To be honest, I don't think the numbers and the, the kind of recommendations themselves are actually that useful in the first place, personally, because the amount of things that we can do on screens, like socialise, study, work, access entertainment, services, information, all these kind of things, for me, it's it makes more sense to understand maybe more limits on, on what are the things that we're doing on there, uh, rather than just time per se. Um, so, you know, in terms of, of limits, you know, if... if I suppose the only the only time it would be problematic is if if you are experiencing some kind of detriment as a result of spending too much time on there, and that that's you know up to an individual in terms of how they might regulate that. So yeah, personally, I think putting a just a categorical number on it isn't that helpful anyway, because it's sort of potentially restricting people from everyday activities, um, which are becoming increasingly commonplace via screens <laughs> so you're potentially restricting things which isn't necessarily useful let's imagine that online classes are purely online so over zoom continued for several years do you think there might be some psychological impacts specifically on younger children possibly i mean we, we don't know what the long-term impacts are but um i think one of the things might be about how people develop ways of interacting with each other in in different ways which isn't necessarily always going to be problematic but I think you know if if all um say children's educational interactions are via a screen there are going to be things that might be missed so you know ways of engaging socially with people that is different to do you can still engage socially with people online, but in a different way. So there might be certain social um, skills or social competences which demonstrate sort of appear in different ways, perhaps. I'm just speculating on this. I don't know whether this will go on or not. This is just sort of initial thoughts. Um, so I think what we might see is different sort of things that come through, whether they'll be detrimental, I don't know. So I think part of what could be problematic is those students who normally would might require additional say teaching assistance support and things how they would cope in say a, an interact um, in say a zoom classroom where you can't necessarily divide very easily so you can use breakout rooms and things but I don't know how that works in terms of supporting those students who might often have somebody with them so and that kind of thing I'm not quite sure how that would work and there could be potential risks there uh, for you know marginalizing students in that way so yeah it would be interesting to know what the kind of longer term impacts would be I'm not quite sure what they would be but those are just some thoughts I guess 
And finally, what do you suggest uh, we can do to limit our Zoom fatigue and just to feel better about this online shift in general? Um, I think it's it's just using these sort of live video chats when it's appropriate to. So not just, you know, using it for the sake of it, because there, there are so many times we can we can still connect with people without having it being like a live discussion. So uh, particularly, I know that lots of people when, you know, the national lockdowns first hit, people just kind of panicked and then did this, oh, we need to have this online quiz. We need to have all these ways to connect with each other. And what happened is we started to overburden ourselves with it. And a lot of that kind of experience of what we call Zoom fatigue kind of um, seemed to appear. But actually, there's so many ways of being connected without having the intensity of these kind of things. So, you know, lots of the research I do is on things like digital gaming. So, you know, the fact that yourself and another friend might play Animal Crossing, for example, you don't have to be doing that intense thing where you're playing together or having a discussion about it. But you have a kind of common commonality and you have something that is a sort of social glue, which can still keep you connected on a psychological level. So I think one way of reducing these sorts of Zoom fatigue experiences is think about the the broader range of ways we can be connected, which aren't this intense sort of live uh, discussion, because, you know, and this technology can still allow us to do that, um, but just in different ways. So that's probably my, my suggestion. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of the interview. Thank you for joining us and sharing your knowledge, Dr. K. No problem. Thank you for inviting me. And that's it for this week of Sci Section. To all our listeners, make sure to check out our podcast for the latest interviews.